Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here today in a very deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and today I'm joined by Alex Beck. Alex is the Managing Director of the Hudson Beck Group, a creative agency in London which encompasses four different brands. Alex, welcome. Great to have you on the programme with us today. Thanks, nice to meet you. It's fantastic to have you, Alex. Now, um, this podcast, first and foremost, is about the topic of leadership and effective leadership at that. But what does that word leader actually mean to you? Um, I guess it's a really broad question, isn't it? I think leadership to me and that word is all about setting direction. I think great, the greatest leaders that I know or I look at are, are kind of completely um, single-minded in in making sure everyone knows where they're going and, and how they're going to get there. And I think that is one of the biggest challenges of leadership is making sure that it's really clear what um, what the mission is, what the purpose is, and, and yeah, how, how we're going to get there together. So um, I think there's um, a huge responsibility as well from leadership to, to be effective and to be efficient and to, you know, there's lots of things to do in the day and there's lots of things to, to do in organisations that you want to be, efficient rather than omnipresent i think it, i think that's really important Okay, and I see where you're coming from uh, there, Alex. And also, I think um, current affairs, the topical issue of the day, of course, being COVID-19 at the moment, it's really brought under the microscope the need for that collective sense of direction, as you touched on there just now, that need for everybody, the whole team to kind of know what the goal is and how essentially you hope to move toward that goal. Because being a leader, it's not just a one man or one woman mission, is it? It's very much about that collective. Absolutely, I think that's kind of that's really the style that I and you know the co-owner of the of the group will have always believed in. You know, open, communicative, collaborative leadership. We're we're as far away from being dictators as as you can imagine. It's always been about great ideas from every single person in the business, regardless of age or regardless of background or rank or whatever other um, way that people are classified in organisations. It's about us knowing our own limitations as leaders, I think, and making sure that we don't believe we've always got the right answer because we definitely don't. So, yeah, I, I think I think that's absolutely crucial because it's pointless setting a direction if no one wants to go there with you. And um, the best um, targets or purposes or missions that we've ever set have been uh, devised entirely with the with the teams who are gonna gonna be making them them happen. And you talk about your um, own leadership style there, focusing on that collective. Um, what would you say have been the influences behind that style of leadership that you've implemented? That's a really great question. I think um, what my, my ultimate um, leadership um, inspiration is Sir Alex Ferguson. I'm a, I'm a huge Man United fan and I've always loved watching how football managers manage clubs and manage teams and manage huge ego so although it probably doesn't speak to open communicative collaborative leadership I've always loved the the rigour that an Alex Ferguson and a dedication to a single mission has, has always brought and it's really clear what Ferguson wanted to do with that United team and that United squad and um, some really core values of being in youth and all of those kind of things I like I like the single mindedness of, of him <clears throat> I think beyond that um so Paul Smith, the fashion designer, has been a huge personal um, inspiration to me. And I think that he, him more for being able to do things at scale with real personality and not lose the, the beauty of 
wit and collaboration and, and fun that, that comes with it, but also being able to make Christmas really work. And I think, yeah, somewhere between Paul Smith and Alex Ferguson, I'll take that. Really, really good examples uh, there, Alex. And um, do you think that great leaders like um, Sir Alex Ferguson and like Paul Smith are born great leaders? Or do you think it's something that you can develop throughout your career being a great leader? I think it's a bit of both for sure. I think there's, there's probably natural um, traits in certain people that suit leadership more than others. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's learned too. I mean, we definitely weren't capable of being in leadership positions when we started our businesses now, 13 odd years ago, we, we did rigorous training in understanding what that, what leadership actually meant, what management meant, what delegation and communication actually meant. And I think that also speaks to kind of the third biggest influence in my leadership career is definitely my dad. You know, <clears throat> he was a John Lewis supermarket um, waitress manager, you know, very old school socialist businesses, but we always believed in people and believed in doing things the right way and developing people and, I think um, there's absolutely no doubt he has been um, someone who's taught us that you can absolutely learn leadership and you can learn the traits. And I think so much of it comes down to execution and being dedicated to want to be a great leader. But um, yeah, I think it's a bit of a mix. It's a bit, a bit learned and a bit, and a bit natural. For sure. And um, it's important to remember, um, it's a fantastic third example that you mentioned there, um, um, of course, your father. Um, it's important to remember that examples of good leadership aren't always going to be people in the public eye. Um, because you, when we think of leaders, we think of politicians, we think of sports personalities and celebrities. But so many good leaders are, especially in business, they can quite often go under the radar a little bit, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, leadership also doesn't have to be loud. Another football manager, Carlo Ancelotti, I, I love reading his book on quiet leadership and actually the fact that it doesn't have to be the, the loudest, most outgoing personality in the room that can be the best leader. I think different times call for different types of, of approaches, I think naturally like, like all forms of life. And I don't think leadership's any, any different. One, one size fits all all the time. You know, you can deal with coronavirus the same way um, you would have to deal with um, a really um, booming year and, and, and real success. So I think it takes lots of nuances to understand the situations that you, that you walk into. Exactly. Um, the coronavirus outbreak has been a huge learning curve uh, for business. And um, also as well, you mentioned that word earlier, that L word limitations. Um, it's important for people going into leadership roles for the first time um, that making mistakes is okay, isn't it? Because it's not really possible, is it, to be a good leader without trying things, without getting things wrong, and then learning from your mistakes? It's part of that learning process that we kind of discussed earlier, isn't it? Yeah, of course. And I think we're all entering, um, whether we're leaders or, or not, whatever profession we're in, whatever rung we're at, or whatever our walk of life, we're all entering the biggest personal and professional challenges of our generation, I would guess, unless, unless we've been to a war. Um, it feels like it's the biggest challenge ever, and if we don't make any mistakes along that along that process, we'd be superhuman. And um, I listened to a brilliant thing about crisis management um, a couple of weeks ago. I can't I can't remember who who was speaking about it, but saying that you know the, the key to surviving in this crisis is to act quickly and not worry about if it's perfect. You know we have to um, crises need speed, and they don't need a lot of deliberation. And that's that's been really challenging for us I think in particular because we like thinking something through we like making sure that we're not hastily run we've, we've always tried to build the, the business on solid foundations that that could last forever and that aren't nothing has done really rusty so we've had to balance that need for 
the crisis pushing us to be um, very swift and and very um, very you know trusting of our gut right through to you know thinking it through enough. But it's just it's it's taking a lot of um, a lot of thinking time outside of the normal office hours to come to conclusions that we might normally park. I think. I can certainly see where you're coming from. And I think it really highlights the importance of striking that perfect balance between proactivity and reactivity, because as you say, business has to be on solid foundations. It's got to be built on those foundations of procedures in place, plans, long-term goals. But at the same time, when guidelines and circumstances are changing as quickly as they are at the moment, businesses have to be able to be reactive, don't they, without making knee-jerk decisions. It's got to be a measured decision that's taken at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. But I think the real key, the thing that um, I'm reminding myself day in, day out, is we have to be ourselves. We have to stick to our values and our principles and the things that um, we really believe in. Just because the crisis arrives, we're still going to have to be ourselves on the other side of it, whether that takes 12 months or 24 months or five years or business never returns to normal. Um, we have to look ourselves in the mirror at the end of all this and go, yeah, I did I did right by the people that, that work for us and that, that we collaborate with every single day, but also I do right by myself and my own values, and I can I can confidently say that um, I'm proud of the way I handled it. And if that means our business doesn't exist at the end, but we're proud of how we did it, I'd prefer that than you know we survive it, but um, we've completely compromised everything that we stand for. We there's no way we'll do that. And um, if you were to give any advice to the next generation of um, emerging leaders, um, what would you tell them to really embrace going forward? Really good question. I think maybe maybe my answer is is completely tainted by the situation we the world finds us in right now. But I think adaptability is the number one. Mm-hmm. I think if you come in, stick to the way you've always done things, and that's the only way that things are going to things are going to progress you're in big trouble again I'll go back to football but you know Louis van Gaal coming into United and playing 3-5-2 and wouldn't ever do anything else without really understanding what squad of players he had or what the league was like and anything else he did a massive mistake and kind of kind of got found out for it I think we all need to be adaptable and I guess suppress the ego a little bit and you know understand we don't have the right answer our way is not always the, the right way That's that would be my um, that would be my advice especially because leadership normally unfortunately is full of ego and, and full of bravado and full of you know alpha males doing things that they shouldn't they shouldn't be um they shouldn't be doing so i think yeah it's, it's time for a bit of a reset on that yeah, there are a lot of um, interesting uh, points that uh, you make there about uh, the typical attitude of leadership. But that's something that has to change. But also business as well. I mean, it has to be able to innovate, doesn't it, in order to continue to survive, especially when it comes to times of crisis like this. Innovation is very much key, that adaptability that you mentioned before. Yeah, and we've always believed very strongly in um, sustainable business. And by that, I mean profitable business from day one and bootstrapping. And I think that's just the way we've always come at business not making huge investments on on strategies that might not work but also um yeah i think i think when i think about sustainable business too it's it's about business that can last forever and we've we've worked very hard across the group um across the agency the publishing platform we have a recruitment platform and, and a careers guidance platform too um we work very hard at having multiple revenue streams so when something like this hits um we have lots of different ways that we could potentially make revenue rather than just a single stream through single clients and, and everything else. And um, I feel very proud that, that we've, we've worked so hard to try and try and facilitate that. And 
what's kind of perversely very exciting about coronavirus is this is the ultimate test, you know. Um, we can talk the talk about multiple revenue streams, but now is the point to walk the walk, you know. This is our chance to show that we can survive it and, and come out thriving the other side. Absolutely. Business is in a position where it will be able to uh, survive this. There will be opportunities there and let's just hope that um, it can really hit the ground running and seize upon the opportunities that this will offer. Um, I am conscious, Alex, of uh, running out of time today, but before we do go about wrapping things up, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next 12 months will hold for yourself, for the Hudson Bet Group and what you really hope to achieve in that time as well, particularly going through COVID-19 and then beyond that. Well, I think we're kind of done predicting what's going to happen. But um, over the next 12 months, I think the most important thing, the thing that I hope for us and Hudson Bet Group and every other business out there is, is our health, first and foremost. That's the, become the most important thing. Whatever strategies we had for the next 12 months of growth or innovation or changing our business are kind of sidetracked by the most important thing, which is, you know, us all getting to the other side, helping with our families and loved ones intact. I think that's, that's the most important thing. Um I think secondary to that, I just hope that we make the most of some great opportunities that will undoubtedly arise during um, during the, the pandemic and go about them in the right way and kind of get the chance to question our own business and see where, um, you know, we're not a big business, there's about 45 of us, but I want to make sure we come out the other side leaner and more efficient and, you know, knowing what impact we can have and what the most important things are that we can be working on. Um, is I guess in boom times and at the top of markets, it's very easy to... to to sweep things under the carpet that might not be working so well. So I'm excited over the next 12 months more than anything to be able to question what we're doing more rigorously um, and more sharply than we ever have had the chance to before. So I'll leave my ambitions there, but we'll be healthy and efficient. It's good to hear that there are some real positive outlooks uh, there nonetheless, Alex, and let's hope that those hopes can really be borne out uh, positively over the next few months. I actually think it would be fantastic to perhaps revisit this in a few months' time, have you back on the programme and just see how exactly those hopes have been borne out in the next few months. Thank you so much for coming on the programme today. It's been incredibly insightful and also an absolute pleasure as well. Thanks, Scott. I've really enjoyed it, Alex. It's been absolutely fantastic. Um, Coming up next on the programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. As well as scoring over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, Sir Jeff remains the only man to this day to score a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup, following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley 54 long years ago. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Sir Jeff, and that's coming up now. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, 
but the problem that I had was was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where. Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you, you're very... Fortunate, I think you, you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course uh, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at. West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was in terms of inspiring confidence I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me I guess would be the captain Bob Moore although he was only uh, about eight months older than me he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, 
uh, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alfred Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was, I was playing and I played with Jimmy Grease in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So mm-hmm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. 
And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke make a joke about that and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and the most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, someone at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. 
What, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but no, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well 
he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. It, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't... And- when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorise those... I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and single mind and dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if 
these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.